0: Our sermon text today is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now, this is a story that you probably have heard before. It is a little bit on the familiar side. Um, If I say the title that we uh, normally associate with it, you'll think, ah, I know what that's about. Um, But I would like to rename it just for, for our purposes today. Uh, you might know it, know it as the parable of the prodigal son, or the parable of the lost son. I'd like to rename it the parable of the lost sons. There are two of them, and they are both lost in a certain way. Hear these words from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise this day that you are the one who seeks out what is lost and that you find a way home to you for each of us. Help us to find ourselves in this story and in the discussion that will uh, ensue here in the next few minutes. Help us to, to learn about ourselves and about how you have wired us and to see your image in each of us, so that we might know our worth and our value, so that we might know that we are loved. Give us grace as we we walk through this text and through this time together, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning something new today, something that will carry us through the next three months. I hope uh, you saw the journals that were out on the table in the narthex. Um, These are for you to take and to keep. There is even a spot in the front cover where you can write your name. This belongs to you, and you may write in it and use it as you see fit. There are many copies out there in the narthex. Anybody not get one of these and would like to have one right now? Don't be shy. We can have an usher run and get you one. It's all right if you do. Um, yeah, okay, Maggie, see, that's good. See, don't be, don't be afraid, it's all right. Yeah, these journals are what will guide us through the next three months, September, October, and November, uh, in this time, in, in our space, during this, this uh, sermon uh, portion of our service. A little bit about where these came from, so you know the context. Uh, this is the third journal that a church, a large Church of God congregation named McDowell Mountain Church, out in Scottsdale, Arizona, has put together. They've done two other journals so far. Um, I got copies of just an individual copy of each of the other ones so I could see what they were doing. They did one last fall, and then they did one this spring, and now this one is number three uh, for this fall. And uh, through the Church of God Grapevine, I learned that this was happening, and I said, hey, what if we just jumped in with you all on this? So we become one of twelve churches that are on the back cover. You can see all the different logos of the churches that are involved in doing this this uh, kind of devotional project to take us through the uh, to take us through the fall season until we get to Advent, uh, the beginning of the new year. Uh, the three months of this journal are uh, on various topics. They're each individual topics through through the different months. October, the last nope. That's not the last. November. I was going to go from back to forward. Uh, November is the final month in this journal. And in November, we're going to be studying Galatians. Um, The theme is, let's say, grace. So we'll be looking for the theme of grace in the book of Galatians. In October, next month, uh, we'll go through a series called Canyons. um, and, And the idea is we're finding God in the midst of the dark night of the soul. Uh, so in the difficult periods of our lives, where do we find hope? Where do we find a way forward? And the texts for that month for October will be several songs uh, from the Old Testament where David in particular uh, wrote out of his own experience and we can find points of connection with him in many ways in, uh, in those psalms. This month, we will uh, be walking through... Uh, a device, a tool, uh, an instrument for spiritual formation called the Enneagram. Have any of you heard of the Enneagram before? Is this familiar to you at all? Okay, I wasn't sure. It's, uh, it's okay. So we're going to start from scratch, and we'll build it up, and it's going to be all good. Uh, so this month, you'll see that uh, the theme is Relatable, um, and the idea is we're going to look at the Enneagram and the soul and the ways that we relate to God and to each other. Uh, that's, that's in broad terms what we're looking at. In this journal, you'll see there are lots of diagrams and, and images and things. Um, you'll also see that there's space for sermon notes. If you find anything of value to write down, you can do that here if you like. Uh, there are also individual... Um, Passages of scripture for each day of the week, Monday through Friday, just a verse or two usually, and then some uh, thought provoking questions on the opposite page that go with that passage. Uh, So you can use this as a daily devotional kind of a thing. There are also group questions for each week. Uh, So if you have a group of people that you would like to meet with, maybe. Uh, this isn't necessarily something that has to be in your Sunday school class, but that's a natural place for us to meet. If there's a family group that you're a part of, or or your your, uh, neighbors that that you're connected to are are walking through this with you, um, or if there are just people that you you want to connect with about the stuff that we're talking about, there are some group questions there for each of the weeks that we're going through this whole three-month process. So... um, Take the, the instruction out on the sign there is is pretty clear, I think. Take one of these with you, use it, bring it back with you every Sunday because we're going to be referring to it every Sunday. It's yours to keep, but let it be part of your regular Sunday routine to, to bring it here so that we can refer to stuff together in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool, awesome. All right. With all of that background in mind, now we get to uh, return to the text because in all of this, We're not going to stray from scripture. All of this is going to be rooted, especially in this first month uh, where we're talking about something that sounds a little weird or a little foreign, um, the the Enneagram. Um, October and November, Psalms and Galatians, we know where we are. But uh, for this Enneagram thing, we need to stay close to scripture. So that's my commitment to you, that we'll do that even as we learn about something that's not specifically in scripture at all. We start with the parable of the lost sons from Luke 15. It's the third parable in the series of of, um, all of Luke 15. Jesus has told three parables now about a lost sheep and a lost coin and then these lost sons. And he tells these parables specifically. Luke is very clear about this at the beginning of the chapter. He's telling this to the Pharisees who are looking down on Jesus because the tax collectors and sinners, those unsavory types, are hanging around Jesus and are asking him questions and they're wanting to hear what he has to say. So there's kind of a social division there, and Jesus is telling them stories about things that are lost in an effort to help them find themselves. (laughs) In these stories, Jesus's concern is for the tax collectors and the sinners, those unsavory types that are gathering around him. But his concern is also for the Pharisees because they are lost too, in thinking that they are higher or better, more advanced than these other people. They have missed the idea of what God intends for them. They need to come home to God just as surely as anyone else does. Jesus knows that all of us have this deep need to come home to God. All of us can be lost. That's why I think this parable is not just about the one son, the one who squanders all the money. It's about both of the sons, each of whom is lost in his own way. The younger son wanders away from his home, of course, and then makes his way back. First he comes his senses and then he comes to his father. The older son has been around the father the whole time, but he still needs to come home in a real sense to this loving relationship with his father and now this new restored relationship with his brother and even coming home to his own sense of self-understanding as a valuable member of this household. Notice in both Parts of this story, as both sons struggle with what they should do, it is the father who goes out to meet them. And this is crucial. The younger son doesn't show up at the doorstep and saying, here I am. The father runs out and meets him. The older son doesn't storm into the house and say, what's going on? The father goes out to the field to meet him. The father meets the son exactly where the son is in the journey. In our spiritual journeys, coming home to God doesn't require us to do all of the work by ourselves. God comes out to meet us, to find us, to guide us home. That's our connection into the Enneagram, because the Enneagram is really a tool that is about helping us learn about ourselves along the journey, helping us draw near to God, helping us learn how to relate to God and others by coming home in some sense to God and to ourselves and to those around us. So for the information that I'm going to be sharing with you about the Enneagram, most of it is drawn from part one of this book um, called the sacred Enneagram written by Christopher Hewitz. Um, the, the uh, he and his wife Felina run a, a Christian organization in Oklahoma or Nebraska somewhere mid mid nation um, where they're working for um, people to to find space within their lives to experience God in a contemplative sort of way. Um, he wrote this book and uh, there are a couple of other books about the Enneagram, but there are not that many really because it's a relatively new. Idea in our neck of the woods. Now, the Enneagram itself has its roots in ancient wisdom cultures and ancient religious traditions from many parts of the world. There, there is no single culture, there is no single religion to which the Enneagram is attached. It has long standing roots, but it first showed up in Western civilization and Western cultures in, in a broad sense just 100 years ago in the in the 20th century. In fact, the first Enneagram book that was published in English, anyway, in the West, uh, the, a book describing this topic, was published just 35 years ago in 1984. So this is relatively recent stuff from our cultural perspective. Um, Karen, I've got a handful of slides that I'm going to ask you to, to Go through, and here's the first one. Um, The, the, I mean the second one. There we go. The beginning point. Yes, thank you. Uh, The beginning point for this whole discussion of what the enneagram is about and how it applies to us. The beginning point is in the inherent dignity and value that each of us has in God's eyes. In the parable of the lost sons, each of the sons has inherent dignity and value in the eyes of the Father. We heard it read during the service today that we are created in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. Our dignity and value precede any identity that we might claim for ourselves. You are valuable to God, not because of who you think you are, or what you do, but simply because you exist. Now this idea flies in the face of three lies that we tend to tell ourselves about who we are. Karen, the next slide is this. There are three lies that Christopher Hewitz identifies in his book here that we believe about our identity. Number one, I am what I have. Or number two, I am what I do number three, I am what other people think or say about me. These three lies show up in many different ways in our own lives. When we think about how we identify ourselves, who am I in this world? I am what I have, I am what I do, or I am what other people say or think about me in some capacity. Those are incredibly powerful motivators, but they are ultimately not true in the deepest sense of identifying who we are. In the parable of the lost sons, none of those things were true for those two boys. What they had or what they did or what other people said or thought about them, that was not what determined their value and their dignity in the eyes of the father and in in, uh, what the father wanted them to believe about themselves. What what they uh, had or did or what other people thought was not the most important thing for them. And those are not the most important, not the most true things for us either. The Enneagram is a tool that can help us recover, in some sense, our true identity and navigate this journey home toward God. Uh, The next slide, Karen, uh, will stay here for a little bit. The Enneagram is kind of like a personality tool, uh, this is the image that you might see in the, in the journal at some point. Um, it's kind of like a personality tool in the way that uh, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is a personality tool or the disk profile is a personality tool. Um, it kind of breaks people into different categories uh, in terms of what type they are. Uh, the Enneagram is called Enneagram because the prefix Ennea means nine It's a Greek prefix that means nine, and there are nine types uh, that are described here. So that's where the name comes from. But it's more than just a personality tool. It's more than just learning about what type you might be or what type you're dominant in. Because here's a little caveat. Um, You're not not gonna fit cleanly into one of these types necessarily. Uh, You'll find yourself appearing in many of these different descriptions Um, but you'll probably find yourself leaning into one of them more heavily than the others. So we don't say, I am a type two, or I am type seven. No, I am dominant in type two. I am dominant in type seven. That's the language that we're going to try to use here. It's more than a personality tool. It describes how we can get lost and how we can find our way back home again. The Enneagram exposes nine ways that we lie to ourselves about who we think we are and nine ways that we can come clean about these illusions. It gives us nine ways that we can find our way back to God. Nine mirrors for self-reflection. It could be as we walk through these that you will see yourself in one of these nine types. So we're going to take the next few weeks to explore these in some detail along with some other Background information about the enneagram and how it all works. I'll give a very brief overview of all nine types right now, and then we'll just dive into the to, to three of them today, and then we'll tackle three more in the next two weeks. So, type one. Uh, do I? Yes, I have this. Yes, I have the page number in your journal. This is why we have journals. On page twenty-one, you'll see the uh, the, the colorful descriptions of these types. Uh, beginning to appear. To, uh, and uh, there's a lot of information on each page. We're not going to unpack all of the information right now for each of them. But very briefly, type one is the reformer or the champion of good. Type one strives for principled excellence as their moral duty. <laughs> and Tara nodded at me because she is, she is dominant in type one. So, uh, yeah, if you want to think of an example of a type one, you might think of Tara. Type two is the helper or the hidden warrior. Type two wants to be loved. Type two strives for lavish love through self-sacrifice. Type three is a performer or an empowered motivator. Type three people strive for uh, recognition through their success, their achievements. They want to be noticed for doing what they have done. Type four is the romantic or the meaning maker. Type four strives for the discovery of identity, for faithful authenticity. They want to know who they are and that they are very authentic in being who they are. Type five is the investigator or the sound counsel. Type five strives for decisive clarity through thoughtful conclusions. Type six is the loyalist or the trusted integrator. Type six strives for steady constancy through confident loyalty. Type seven is the enthusiast. Or the illuminator of possibility. Type 7 strives for imaginative freedom through inspirational independence. Type 8 is the challenger or the defender of justice. Type 8 strives for impassioned intensity, for unfettered autonomy. These are your freedom fighters. And then type 9 is the peacemaker or the secret guru. Type nine people strive for harmonious peacefulness as congruent repose. That's a langu- uh, language from the book here, which is pretty fun. Peacefulness is the main motivator for a type nine person. Very brief overview. Now, each of these nine types, uh, Karen, the next slide will describe where, where, where we are now. Each of these nine types has core features to it. And as we go through these, I'll explain what each of these are. And again, the idea behind this is you might find yourself described in one of these nine types. Um, each of these types is driven by a holy idea. Oops, I missed a sentence. I'll start back a sentence earlier. Each of these nine types has a core desire right, and a core fear, something that drives you to be, and something that you are afraid of happening if, uh, and usually those are, those are opposites of each other in some way. Each of the nine types is driven by a holy idea, which is where, uh, w- where your mind wants to go. It's what your mind sees as the most clear description of what your life should be about, of your true self. And opposed to that holy idea is a fixation. That is a mental place where your type tends to go when that holy idea is hidden or is unable to be reached. You fixate on something mentally. It's a way of kind of moving away from home. The holy idea is where you want to be. The fixation is where you end up going when when, uh, you are lost. Each of the nine types is motivated by a virtue. This is an emotional drive. Uh, a a way that you want to, to be aligned with what is good and true and beautiful within yourself and within the world, a virtue that motivates you above the others. And opposed to that, there is a vice that is a core weakness for each type. It's the feeling that you fall into when the virtue is unreachable or is weak. The holy idea and the virtue are the healthiest ways for us to come home to God. But the fixation and the vice describe the misguided attempts that we make to try to find our way home. Now on page 21, or any of those pages of descriptions, you'll find the um, virtues and vices listed at the bottom of the page. Um, And at the top of the page you'll find four words that describe people of each uh, of those types. Those are adjectives or other kinds of descriptions that uh, might help you identify what each type is like. Now, uh, we'll talk through each of these over the next few weeks, and that's fine, Uh, but if you'd like to, to investigate this further and try to figure out what type you might lean into more heavily than the others, on the facing page, page 20, There are a couple of of, uh, web addresses there at the bottom of the page. Short test and longer test. You can go to either of those. These are free online instruments that you can take. Multiple choice kinds of questions where you pick between options and you do 20 or 50 or 100 of these questions. And then it says, oh, it looks like you might be most dominant in type whatever. Uh, You could try these out and and see what you think. And that might give you some direction in in terms of what type you might be I might be leaning toward. One other piece of orientation. I want to flip back to page two. And Karen, you can flip up to that uh, image as well. Uh, there is a pie graph sort of a thing on a page called the Enneagram Triads. Now the Enneagram has nine types and they are commonly listed in a circle like this, like you see on that, on that diagram. Because each of the nine types tends to draw some of the characteristics from the types that are adjacent to it on either side as you go around the circle. Um, So you might be a type 3 and you might lean into type 4 a little bit. Some of the characteristics characteristics from 4 might sound right to you as well. Uh, Or you might be type 3 and lean into type 2, something like that. The triads that you see described there have to do with three different centers that we tend to rely on when we encounter new information or new circumstances or new situations. There's the feeling center, the thinking center, and the instinctive center, or kind of the body or gut center. And those three centers, uh, all of us can operate out of, but we might tend to operate more out of one than the other two. And the types that are in those categories are are types that operate more out of those centers. So today, what we're going to look at are the three in the feeling center. The three types in the heart or feeling triad that have to do with uh, types two, three, and four. Um, One note about all of this uh, is an important reminder there on the next page. Um, your numbers are not an excuse for how you might want to behave or whatever. Um, and as you hear these descriptions, you might think, oh, I, that makes me think of somebody else. This is really describing somebody in my family or somebody in this church or something. I won't use your number against you, right? That's one of the ground rules for all of this work. And, uh, the third and maybe most important rule is I'm going to work on me. I'm not going to work on you. So if you find somebody that you think, ah, this is describing them, you can kind of nudge them in the right direction if you like, but their work is their own work. This is really for you to find out about yourself um, and to find tools to help you come home to God in a meaningful way. Um, Yes, so we're going to be looking at the two, three, and four, uh, the the feeling center types just now, where it says the word shame, um, and that's, that sounds pretty negative. All, in fact, all three of these words on page two, anger, fear, and shame, are pretty negative, And they're not really described in this journal, so I want to make sure you know what they're about. These are the kind of instinctive responses that you might have when you feel like you are not yourself, when you feel like you are not at home, when things are not settled for you. Um, The people in the feeling center tend to have an automatic response of feeling ashamed because they're operating out of their feelings. People who are more thinking types uh, have a response of fear. It's it's all mental. When the world is not right, things are going to spin out of control mentally, so there's fear involved. And anger, the instinctive gut people just want to lash out and throw things out the window when things don't work right. Right, Tara? Okay, that she's a type one in that instinctive center for sure. All right. Type two is the helper, the hidden warrior. The words at the top of page 22 are relational and generous, sentimental, people-pleasing. The holy idea, the thing that motivates the mind for a person who's in type two is freedom or the will freedom to choose freedom, to move freedom, to to behave or to believe or feel in a certain way. The fixation for a type two is flattery. Somebody who uh, has the freedom to do whatever they want might be flattered when someone realizes that they're behaving as they, as they do the virtue at the bottom of the page for a type two is humility. But the vice for someone in type 2 is pride. You see how those are kind of opposites of each other. Uh, the core desire for someone in type 2, you see this in the circle at the bottom left side of the page, the bottom left corner. The core desire of someone in type 2 is to be loved. The core fear of someone in type 2 going around that circle is not being loved. And the core weakness is the vice. The core weakness is pride. If you are a type two kind of a person, it's important for you to remember the sentence that's inside that circle in the bottom left corner of the page. Self care is important as you care for others. Type two people tend to give of themselves and sacrifice themselves and not take care of their own needs. It's important for you to care for yourself, even as you care for others. Some famous examples of people in Type Two are Desmond Tutu, Nancy Reagan, John Denver, uh, Lionel Richie, Dolly Parton, Paula Abdul, Elizabeth Taylor, Josh Groban, Martin Sheen, Arsenio Hall, and from Star Trek fame, Doctor McCoy. I like that one, you know, in particular. I didn't come up with those. Uh, the, the types are all described online. You see at the very bottom fine print uh, for a detailed description of each type. You can go to enneagraminstitute.com slash type descriptions, and they have really long, really involved descriptions of each of these types, longer than we're able to go into here. You can look up any of the types there, and they have lots and lots of famous folks that you might have heard of that... Probably fall into this particular category and I just provide those names as kind of a touchstone for you to think oh yeah that's that kind of person that kind of individual that's type 2 type 3 on the next page over is the performer the empowered motivator type 3 is success oriented and pragmatic they are image conscious ambitious adaptable and motivated individuals The holy idea for a type three is harmony or law or hope. But the fixation for a type three is vanity. They're so good at what they do. Look how good I am. They can achieve so much. Uh, The vanity can rise. The virtue for a type three is truthfulness. um, But the vice for a type three person is deceit. And that's a typo. There's no P in the word deceit. Deceit. But, oh well, that's okay. Uh, Deception has a P in it, but deceit does not. Uh, Does that say anything about my type? I don't know, maybe it does. That's okay. Uh, That's fine. Um, The core desire for someone in type three is to feel valuable. But the core fear for a type three is feeling worthless. Notice it's feeling language, right? Feeling valuable. Type two is feeling loved. They're all operating out of that feeling center. Um, for someone who is in type three, the sentence to remember that's important is this. You don't need to impress God. <laughs> type threes are achievers. They want to conquer the world. They want to d- succeed at all they do. You don't have to impress God. God is not impressed by all of this success. That's, that's a good reminder. Some famous examples of type three individuals. Um, basically, any sports hero that you might think of is probably a type three. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a type three. Oprah Winfrey is a type three. Carl Lewis, like I said, sports figures. Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, type threes. Whitney Houston, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Will Smith. Um, If you know the TV show Glee, Rachel Berry from Glee is a type three. She's got to achieve and succeed in everything that she does. That's type three. Type four, and this is the last one we'll look at today. Type four is the romantic or the meaning maker. Type fours are sensitive or expressive. They are original, artistic, introspective, and intuitive. The holy idea that motivates a type four is personal uniqueness. But on the flip side, the fixation for a type four is melancholy, uh, kind of the Eeyore. bemoaning how the world is or, or feeling low. Uh, the virtue for a type four is calm. Type fours can be very even people, emotionally balanced people. But on the flip side of that type fours, the, vices, uh, the vice is that they can be very envious, not of other things that people have, but of the, the substance that they think other people have in their relationships or their experiences. They can be envious of that. The core desire for a type four is to be significant, to feel that they make a, a difference in the world. And the core fear, of course, is insignificance. And if you're a type four, a sentence that's important to remember is that God knows you and God loves you. Some famous examples of type four people are Jackie Kennedy Onassis, Judy Garland, Bob Dylan. Prince, Alanis Morissette, Marlon Brando, Winona Ryder, Nicolas Cage, Johnny Depp. These are all type four kinds of people. And I think going back to the parable of the lost son, the older son would probably be a type four. He's envious of the relationship between the father and the younger brother. Maybe one of these three types sounds like you. Uh, Maybe not. There are still six other types we haven't looked at so far. But all three of these particular types come out of that feeling center triad. People in the other triads operate from different places in in their personalities, from their minds or from their guts. So in the next two weeks, we're going to explore those two other triads, and some more information about the Enneagram itself, and some more of the pieces and parts that you see on those pages, 21 through 29. But we'll always be careful to root our discussions in Scripture, and in Jesus in particular. This whole process is about learning about ourselves, and learning how to come home to God. Because we have been created in the image of God, and in some way, our type, whatever it might be, is a reflection of God's image, the best characteristics of who we are, just begin to approach uh, who God truly is. Uh, so I hope you're excited about this and digging into it. Again, there, there are some tests online that you can take to uh, to learn more about this um, and some discussion questions as we move forward. But for now, we're going to draw this time to a close. So would you pray with me as we, as we wrap up? Lord, we thank you for how you have made us wonderfully and beautifully beyond our understanding, beyond our control. And as we, uh, as we walk through this series of learning about something that's new, this Enneagram instrument, help us to, uh, to use it in the best way possible, to find our way home to you, to know who we are, and to know how best to behave in this world and to relate to others in this world. We thank you for this time, and we pray that, uh, that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we seek to follow you all the days of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.